So we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, line by line. And this is a prayer to the potentate of time and space who is yet so tender and so proximate to us that we may talk to him in our own words as our own father whenever we like. Now, there are two universities in the city of Bristol. One of them is a great seat of learning. The other is an academic swamp. I have a degree from one of them. I'm not going to tell you which. But I will tell you that when they play sports against each other, Bristol University, the crowd from Bristol University, chants at the University of West England, the University of West England. A little bit nasty, this chant. Thank you. <laughs> Is there a lot of reverb in the room? I thought maybe you'd laugh more quickly. A bit nasty, this chant. They, they sing, uh, your dads work for our dads. How cruel is that? You know, ooh, how, how mean. This snooty university singing that. Uh, one day, I just pray that the, there would be a Christian referee at one of these soccer games who stops the whole game and says, yeah, but they all work for mine. Our Heavenly Father is is supreme. He is sovereign. This is a Lord's Prayer that describes the King of the whole universe as our Father. It is a prayer that gives equality and prestige, if you could imagine those two things going together, to the lowly. The opening petition of the Lord's Prayer testifies to grace. This is a God who, by grace, allows us to be called his children. We're the children of our heavenly Father, the King of the universe, by grace. It's a a petition, as the Lord's Prayer opens, that speaks of adoption. We did not earn this. We were given this. And it says that Christ has prepared us For eternity, the eternal Father is ready and waiting for us. We are the very sons and the daughters of the eternal God. It is a prayer, therefore, that prays for eternity to come. And as Tracy said last week, that is a radical thing to say, because normally when something goes wrong, someone will come up to you and say, yeah, well, at least it's not the end of the world. Christians pray for the end of the world. And until it comes, this is a prayer that prays that we would give all that we are and all that we have, every resource in our possession to the job of making it look like the end of the world has come about already, making this place look like that place. Until the kingdom comes, might God's will be done so much on earth as it is in heaven that we could hardly tell the difference between the two. Radical prayer. Now, in week three, it's bread week inside the big tent. Bake! Any fans of the Great British Bake Off? One. (laughs) If, if you have never watched the Great British Bake Off on Netflix, this is a twofer. Because if you pray this prayer, you get eternal salvation from the potentate of time and space. And until that comes about, a really awesome thing to watch on Netflix. I warmly commend to you the great British Bake Off. And this is 
our bake-off. Matthew 6, verse 11. It's all about bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I'll be very open with you. I had not thought very much about this verse until uh, this series. I have said it a lot. Not sure I've ever really understood it, though. Not fully, at least. I had always assumed that bread meant bread and that daily meant daily. Those are reasonable things to assume, so if you've thought that too, don't you know, beat yourself up too much. But it turns out, as well as meaning those things, it means a whole lot more. There are many, many different layers to this bread. In that way, it's more like a pastry. All right, we'll stop. You're not a bread congregation, I can tell. We'll stop with those analogies. There is so much here, you know, to look at. And give us this day, our daily bread can, on the first layer, just mean that. Give us some bread. Give us some actual bread to eat. And and the layer below that, the bread might be representative of all food. It might mean, God, give us something to eat, anything to eat. Give us everything to eat. And why stop there? Because this bread could be symbolic of all of our human needs, everything, our air and our water and our food and our shelter and our sleep and clothing and reproduction, the entire base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all symbolized in one physical thing, bread. Interestingly, I was talking to a Chinese friend a while ago, and because bread is so uncommon in parts of China. Her translation of the Bible says something different. I I asked her to show it and translate it for me. And in her Bible, it just said, give us this day our daily staple. That's what they translated it to. It left undefined what kind of type of food it should be, just ordinary food. Give us this day our daily carbs. Now we're talking, because I like carbs. Scriptural authority right here for the proposition that Budweiser Light is indeed an ungodly beer. We should all drink real ale, church. Warm beer. That's what we should be drinking. And of course, these physical ideas of bread and food and and warm beer and all physical needs that we might have, these, these are themselves only superficial layers of what God might be talking about in this prayer. Frequently, we know this, frequently in Scripture, God uses the physical things that we can see and touch around us to mirror or reveal or manifest the the spiritual things that we cannot. So perhaps this physical image of bread could easily mean bread. It could easily mean staple food of any kind. It could mean everything physical that you can think of and everything spiritual as well. Our Father, please sustain me in every way, every day. Here's the second difficulty with the translation. What do we really mean with the word daily? Because the word daily, it turns out, is unique in Scripture. There are no other examples of this specific word daily in the Bible, and there are no other examples of this in any ancient Near Eastern text at all. There was one. Apparently, they did find this word in a fragment of a manuscript in ancient Egypt, but the archaeologist's dog ate it. I kid you not. 
They had it, they lost it, they don't know where it's gone, they don't have it anymore. So the word daily is really, really hard to understand, a little unclear. It could mean today for the whole of today, like God, give me this morning enough bread to last until this evening. Or it could mean give me today enough for tomorrow, so God, give me enough bread this evening to last me for the whole of the next day. It could mean either of those things, and we don't have enough evidence to determine which of the two it is. What I can tell you is either way, it is a daily portion that will be apportioned every single day. This word daily does not mean God, give us a 10-year supply in one go, or God, give me a lifetime supply of bread in, in one lump. Why? Why does God give us this prayer? This prayer of petition for daily bread. I think it's because there is a tendency for every single one of us to rely on ourselves. All of us have this tendency, at least to want to, secure our own futures first and then to turn to God second. And God knows that if we don't have a need to feed every single day, then we will just put off and not talk to him as often as we could. I think our jobs, our homes, our education, our sports, they hear from us every day. The Sky News app, particularly the Formula One page of it, hears from me every single day multiple times. Frequently, these things around us function as our gods. We touch them and talk to them every single day, and we don't always call upon his name. And people say to me, I can't come to church. And I say, why? They say, well, we have to do this extra training. Why? Well, so that I can make the team. Why? Well, so that I can get a scholarship. Why? So that I can go to the right school. Why? So that I can get the right job. Why? So that I can make enough money. Why? So that I can meet the right spouse. Why? So that we can have the right kids. Why? So that they can do some extra training. Little boxes, little boxes. And it goes around and around and around. When we have these needs all met, we reason then we will turn to God one day. Here's a really key concept about God that we need to know. Does he give us this prayer to beat us up? Is this a complaint? Has he given us this prayer to make us feel bad that we don't call on him enough? Why don't you ever call? Or does he give us this prayer because he knows what we're like? And he knows that we don't always call, and he wants us to have his number so that we can. Is it an invitation to come back to him? I think it must be in light of the kind of father that he is, a father of adoption. It must be an invitation, a means of grace by which we may approach him every single day. Perhaps if your life has fallen apart and... Perhaps if you don't quite have this day, what you thought that you would have by this point in your life, it hasn't quite worked out the way you thought that it would have done by now. Or perhaps if your life has been ticking along very nicely and disaster has suddenly fallen upon you and you didn't see it coming and your world has been turned upside down, perhaps 
God has given you this prayer already because you have been finding your identity in the wrong things. You've forgotten whose father you work for. And he is ready and he is waiting to hear from you every single day. What if that is too superficial? And what if we're only in the mid-layers of the meanings of this prayer and there is more yet? What if uh, all the little things that God supplies for us every single day that we need daily, bread and all that it represents, uh, are but uh, signs of something even greater yet to come? What if uh, these are just a hint, these little snippets of food and morsels are just a hint of an eternal banquet yet to come, a foretaste of eternity? If that is true, then suddenly this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, give me what I need, isn't just a petition. God, please help me, or an invitation from God. I've got it, but a warning. Make sure that you ask. Let's go even deeper. If all of this is true, if the sovereign of the universe can be our Father, and his kingdom will come, and some will be in, and some will be out, based upon whether they've come to rely on him daily in all those simple things now, what would a loving God of grace do to get your attention before it is too late? What would he do to drive home to you the fact that you have been maybe praying daily to the wrong sort of a God? What would he do? What would he send? Who would he give to get your attention? Let us turn neatly, using the ribbon system, to Exodus chapter 16 for an example. Exodus 16, context, where do you find it? The uh, Israelites have escaped slavery in Egypt, and they're en route to the promised land, but they're nowhere near the promised land yet. Uh, and so like us, they are redeemed from slavery, and like us, they are not yet home where they belong forever. And along the way, they have these little daily snapshots of what life will be like when they get there, but they are not there. Uh, and so uh, God is speaking to them on the way. Like us, they do exactly what we do. Verse 2. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled exactly what we do about God all the time. I looked into it. I thought I knew what the word grumbled meant. It doesn't quite mean what I thought. It doesn't mean sort of a moaning about stuff. It actually is derived from the Hebrew word stop. They, they stopped. They put their foot down. They dragged their feet. They became obstinate. They physically stopped the journey. And then, having stopped, they start to look back. They start to look back at Egypt, back at slavery, and they start to romanticize the past. Verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Do you remember those? Do you remember the meat pots? Do you remember the big gulp and the bubba keg and the golage? Do you remember those days? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Because that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You know, don't kill them in Egypt where all the knives are, you know. 
do it in the desert with the dust. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't make any sense. In the book of Numbers, they start to do that thing that hungry people do. They start to talk about food. They start to list it. Oh, you remember the cucumbers and the leeks and the melons and the garlic? Oh, yeah, it was good stuff, wasn't it? The lesson, church, don't ever go grocery shopping when you're hungry. You're just going to pile too much into the basket. They're starving and they're talking about food all the time and they're romanticizing the past and saying, do you remember Egypt? Wasn't it great? We had all this food there. We were better off, they say, if you think about it, relying on ourselves as slaves than relying on this God as free. God's response. Let's beat them up. Bolt of lightning. Let's really annoy them. No, he's a God of grace. God's response is gracious, outrageously gracious to their complaining. Verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven. You know, I'd be like, I'd be a terrible God. I'd be like, do you do fireballs? What should you do? Lightning. Let's zap them. I would be horrible God. God's awesome. He says, let's rain bread. Let's feed them, he says, from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. Ringing any bells yet? I'm going to send something down. I'm going to provide for you all that you need, something to get your attention, something to sustain you along the way, symbolized by bread, indeed, daily bread. Literal, actual, daily bread, made of bread, fresh every day. But, verse 5, on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily because the seventh day is a Sabbath. God in his grace even provides a Sabbath, a day of rest, a day when they can take the chill pill and relax and enjoy their relationship with him. I will give you, he says, a single daily portion every single day and on the eve of the Sabbath, a double daily portion so that the next day you can take it off. Verse 14. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread of the Lord that the Lord has given you to eat. Geeks in the room will know this is, without a shadow of a doubt, elven bread from the Lord of the Rings. Last night, in the original language, the elven tongue, Jamie told us it's called Lembas, because he's a, a full geek. But uh, this is... He's not here, so I can say it. So it, this, is, this is a heavenly bread. It's sweet. It's, it's delicate. It's, it's filling and, 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 and beautiful and fresh and healthy. And there's a command that comes with this bread, verse 16. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. God's grace, there's always enough. There's a daily amount, and it's always sufficient. And another command, because that which God creates, God regulates. If God creates something, he gives us a way to use it just because it exists. doesn't mean that we can use it any way we like. That which he creates, he regulates. And in verse 19, Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. Just take enough for today. Don't hoard it. Don't stockpile it. Don't shove it in your trousers and up your jumper and make a big secret stash under your bed. Don't worry about tomorrow. There, there, there are um, 
examples in the Bible of saving and preparing, being commended. This is not a verse against providing for the future. But it is a verse against the heart that says, I trust in my provision for the future. A verse that says, if your security is found in the thing you have saved up, then you are in trouble. What do your savings represent to you? Is it prudence or is it your God? Is it security? Have you managed to amass all of your daily bread yourself in one great big lifetime supply? So much so that you do not need to rely on God anymore. Then ironically, if that is you, it is putting you at risk. And every time we pray this prayer, we perjure ourselves in church. What do you think they did? Verse 20. Well, they did not listen, is what they did. It's, they're humans. They're like us. They're normal. They did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, because they're people. We all do this. Just a little bit extra, just in case. There might not be enough tomorrow. So I better work a bit harder today to get some extra for tomorrow. And I better go without a little bit today as well to make sure that if God fails, I've got what I need for the next day, just in case, you know, my father really isn't as good as he claims to be. They romanticize the past. Oh, the meat pots. And now they disasterize the future. What if God stops being God? And having romanticized the past and disasterized the future, of course, what they're doing is they're compromising the present because God is right there in front of them providing what they need miraculously every single day. Very, very human things to do. Very unradical. God has just made miraculous bread appear, but they're so worried about the future and so angry about the past that they fail to see what he's doing this day. Daily bread. So what does God do? Verse 20, it bread worms and stank. I love this. I just, it's one of my favorite verses. I just think it sounds funny. God has to wreck the self-reliance to get their attention. He has to. He has to take away this thing that they were trusting in. What else would a good God do to get their attention? If they're worshipping a pile of stale bread, what is God going to do other than wreck it? He has to. Because otherwise, they're making the mistake of relying on themselves and they're not ready for his kingdom to come. The opposite thing also happened. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread so they wouldn't have to work on the Sabbath. And verse 24 says, on this occasion, it did not stink and there were no worms in it. They, it, it works differently on the Sabbath, it seems. Suddenly, the rules change. What else do you think they did? Some of them, verse 27. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. Of course they did, they're humans. But they found none. Even though they've got a surplus for the day, they want a surplus surplus just in case God doesn't start doing this thing again on Monday, or in their case, Sunday. You know, that's so human, isn't it? Now for the scary part. Look at verse 4. Why does God do all of this stuff? This was so that he might test them. It's the word prove. Our ability to seek this day, our daily bread, is diagnostic. It is 
probative. It proves, it reveals, it manifests who really is our real God. Don't be underproved, church, is my injunction to you. God sends down daily bread to get our attention, and he does it to draw us to himself every day so that we learn to rely on him on this earth as it will be in heaven, giving us a present physical sign of a future spiritual reality. And herein lies what I think is the final layer. Probably not the final layer. It's just the last one that I saw this week. But here's something else. John chapter 6. It's remarkable. John 6, 41. Drawing all of these concepts together, everything we've heard, the petition, you know, John 6, 41, the petition, please help me, Lord. And the invitation from God to you, I'm the Father, I want to help you. And the warning from him, you must rely on me. And the test, have you relied on me? All drawn together and fulfilled and make sense in John 6, 41, where Jesus says, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus is the ultimate provision. Jesus is the redemption from the past. Jesus is the foretaste of the future. Jesus is a very present sustenance for a people in the wild. A people who feel that their life is not quite right. Have Jesus to cling to. If you really mean this prayer, Give us this day our daily bread. If you pray that and you mean it, then this Sunday meal that we eat of bread and wine in just a a few moments as we gather around the Lord's table will be a physical sign of a greater spiritual reality, a daily token of that which is to be eternal. And you will feed on him this day and daily in the same way that you will feed on him eternally. Let's pray. Lord God, please sustain us with the physical things that we need here and now. And if uh, something has happened to us this week that has, has left us disappointed, maybe disappointed with you, feeling underprovided for or bereaved, please help us to turn back to you this day. And as we gather and we kneel before that rail to receive that bread, would we know that it is just serving as a physical token of a lively spiritual reality that is both here and here to come in more of its fullness when you come again to both the living and the dead. Help us to feed on you daily. In the name of Jesus. Amen.